Bula Vanaka, welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Ben Robinson-Drawbridge. This week, the Tahiti rugby team claim underdog status for the final of the Oceania Cup. Guam joins Samoa and French Polynesia in the race to host the Pacific Games. Fiji Netball announces five tests for the Pearls. The Papua New Guinea Mosquitoes AFL team prepares for the International Cup and the Fiji Sevens coach farewells his captain, Osea Kolinisau. The Tahiti rugby team are claiming underdog status for this weekend's final of the Oceania Cup. The French Polynesians play the Cook Islands in the Rarotonga final with the winner progressing to a qualifying repercharge for the Rugby World Cup. The president of the Tahiti Rugby Union, Charles Tozier, told Vinnie Wiley his players are not the favourite to win in Oceania, even though eight of them are based in France. We hope uh, we have um, the best team we can have to fight against Cook Island, because Cook Island is a big team. Most of the guys of the Cook Islands are playing New, New Zealand Championship, and uh, we are on a, a small union, you know. But uh, two years ago, we have made a good Oceania Cup, and so we are uh, working hard during two years to be ready for this game. We prefer if you have two games, go and back, but you have just one game, so it's uh, difficult. We think we are just outsiders, and uh, Cook Island is a favorite, but you know, in rugby, all is possible. We hope we can try to, to make our best to win this game. The Tahiti players, do they all live in Tahiti, or do you have any players that are based in France? The problem is uh, we can get the, we have uh, two professional uh, players that we can get them back because they start in France. They're training for the pro leader and for the top cutters. So the players who play on the high level, they cannot be released by the club. So we have a group of uh, eight players coming from France. They play in the Federal 1 and Federal 2. It's the best we can do because uh, the ticket is very expensive to come to France in this season. And the second thing is uh, all the clubs in France have started the training for the new season, so they, they don't release really easy the players. 70% of the players coming from Tahiti and 30% from France. The Cook Islands have not played a test match since 2014 when they were beaten by... Fiji in a World Cup qualifying match. Uh, have Tahiti played any matches since the Oceania Cup two years ago? During these two years, we don't play any games. We have make uh, we have organized uh, friendly games against uh, one Japanese team and against one uh, one New Zealand team. But the problem we cannot put the same guys coming from France because we don't pay the tickets. You know, just for a friendly game. The last game that these guys have played all together was in, in PNG in two years ago. Really, the favorite is Cook Island. We know that. But we are not going for loss. We are going for fight and give our best game we can do. Tahiti Rugby Union President Charles Tozier. Guam has joined Samoa and French Polynesia in expressing interest to host the Pacific Games in 2019. The Chief Executive of the Pacific Games Council, Andrew Minogue, says it's heartening to have received the bids after Tonga withdrew from staging the event. We've had an expression of interest lodged late last week from uh, Guam, up in the northern part of the Pacific. They've hosted the Games twice before in uh, 1975 and 1999. They've thrown their hat in the ring. We've just received, uh, just in the last hour or so, a formal expression of interest from uh, Samoa. And we've also just received a letter from Tahiti. Their Olympic Committee would like to, to proceed with a, with a bid, but they're still working on getting support from, from their government. So um, it looks like we're going to have a fairly healthy choice.
see where the games are going to go in 2019. So three countries potentially in the bidding to host the games. Did Guam take any coaxing from you to register their interest? No, not at all. We've not actually gone out and actively coaxed any of our, our member Pacific Games Associations or Olympic Committees as they're, as they're otherwise known as. We just simply put out the documentation. So what's the next step for Guam? Will you be going up there? For all of the bidding countries, the President of the Games Council, Vidya Lakan, and myself will pay a visit on each of the bidding countries over the next few weeks. Um, our goal is to uh, convene our executive board at the end of August and, and make a, a final determination. So we've got um, we've had this last month. Once once things fell apart in Tonga, we've allowed this month of July for countries to put their their documents together and, and get their bids organised with with their sporting federations and their host governments. So that's all coming in now. And then the next month will be assessment and decision time. Having gone from one country that was refusing to host the games to three now interested, that must be some relief. I think it's a, a really big relief for the athletes to know of the Pacific to know that they they're going to have an event in 2019 that the the games will will be uh, delivered, and it's very important because it's for a lot of the sports it'll be a leading event to the Tokyo Olympics qualification for the Olympic Games or World Championships in some sports. So it is a relief to the athletes. For us as the, as the administrators of the Pacific Games, it's a relief to know that you know, our, our games, our brand will, will continue. And it's, I think, really comforting to know that there's countries out there, uh, even at short notice, that are prepared to, to dig deep and, and uh, do what it takes to, to host the Games. Um, and I think there's a lesson in that for our, our friends in, in Tonga yeah, if people are hungry for it. There are countries that want this event. They see the value in it. For future bids, it's going to be a very competitive process. For these three countries considering hosting the Games, yeah. what sort of cost are they looking at? Well, I think at short notice, with two years to go effectively before we would, we would have the Games around June, July, August, September window um, in 2019. So that's not a lot of time to be... You know, building a new stadium or a new pool or a new um, indoor hall. So what we're looking at clearly is for countries that, um, and these three countries that I've mentioned have all hosted the Games before. They have facilities in place. So in terms of infrastructure, I think the budget for 2019 will be quite minimal. And then the operating costs, Again, it depends on how many sports and the strength of the local federations in those sports, how much equipment and technical capacity is already there in the country. It depends on the country and and their budgets and their currencies. But I guess if we were looking at Tonga's operating budget for the final two years, it was about 46 million pa'anga we budgeted, and uh, that's about 20 million US dollars. Um, we've got to assess these bids that have come in from the, the three countries and what their proposed budget is, but that's the guide that we gave them, somewhere in the order of $20 million on operating costs. The Pacific Games Council's Andrew Minogue. After two years without a test match, the Fiji Pearls netball team will play five international fixtures over the next three months, but will miss this year's mini-games. The test schedule was announced on Monday and begins with two September tests against South Africa and Suva.
Tests against Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland follow to be played in Cardiff in October. The president of Fiji Netball, Wainikiti Mbongdrao, says after a dormant period following the 2015 Netball World Cup, the Pearls needs to play test-hardened opponents. South Africa is coming to Fiji for a two-test series, and that will be held uh, here in Suva. That's on the 6th and the 8th of September. We're quite excited to be hosting South Africa again. The last time they were here was in 2006. So we are going to watch the Pearls again in action after a two-year layoff. Do you expect that series to be close? South Africa is test hardened. We are rebuilding. So uh, we've got uh, new members that have joined the squad. We have a few uh, members that have retired since 2015. So uh, we really don't know what to expect. Uh, I think for us it's just getting that match fitness. It's uh, being out there again on the court and getting that uh, the high-intensity international test match uh, experience that the girls need. October, we are headed to Wales for three test matches against Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland. And then we, we travel to London for two training games against England. Well, this is a wonderful schedule for the Pearls, having been dormant for so long, but the sad news is that you'll have to miss the mini-games as a result. Yes, we have to miss the mini-games. We looked at it. We actually, uh, after we did a cost-benefit analysis, we realised that although the mini-games would have been good for us, we will be um, blooding some of our players to games against, you know, internationally ranked teams of equal strength, especially the European team. But the thing is, uh, we have more to gain from playing South Africa and playing the three European nations, then travelling to Vanuatu and having to play just one internationally ranked game against Papua New Guinea. Fiji Netball President Wainikiti Mbongendrao. The Australian Rules International Cup kicks off in Melbourne this week with 18 men's and seven women's AFL teams competing in the two-week tournament. The Papua New Guinea Mosquitoes are returning to defend the title they won in 2014. Vinnie Wiley spoke to the Mosquitoes tour manager, Peter Harrison. It is a pretty experienced lineup. We've got a bit of a mixture of, uh, of youth and some of the older boys as well, so they're pretty determined to put in the sort of the fresh players that are coming through PNG and there's quite a lot of uh, young players coming through the AFL PNG development programs and um, certainly since 2014 there's some pretty good development. I mean obviously we try to get players into Australia to uh, further their careers with football and education. Probably we haven't had as many down in Australia for the last three years but certainly over the last Two years we've had a small sort of group of 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-olds that have been down and they've been making pretty strong inroads. So, you know, very quick, very uh, skillful. And, of course, I mean, PNG, the players generally don't have the height, as you can imagine, but we still seem to have uh, a few sort of six-foot-two players roaming around, which is always handy. They've changed the pool structure this time around. It seems to be a much tougher uh pull, uh, you know, who you get hit with in these uh, preliminary matches? Look, you know, we start off uh, (laughs) against Ireland straight away, so it's bang straight into it. It's going to be a very tough encounter. It's played on a smaller sort of oval, so, you know, you're not going to have the sort of the reaches to run to 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 move around. And then after that, we've got, uh, you know, Nauru, and, you know, that's always going to be a hard-hitting game. 
followed by USA, and, and then we end up with South Africa. So we've got a pretty solid sort of couple of weeks of footy to sort of try and crack it, you know, back into the finals. Because you can't afford to lose. You've got to, you've got to win the whole way through. So that's really what's on our mind at the moment. Do you anticipate it's the regular rivals that will be uh, to the fore again, the, the same sort of teams fighting out for that title? Look, I think so. I, I think really when you look at it, you know, we sort of think that New Zealand's probably, a, you know, a bit of a smoky and, I mean, it really comes down to three teams, you know, outside of Australia. So, you know, New Zealand, you know, Ireland and Papua New Guinea, generally the teams that seem to grasp AFL quite well. So I wouldn't be at all surprised whether, uh, you know, New Zealand are the ones that step up. Uh, this time round, you just never know. And uh, Peter, obviously, there's a women's competition as well, and, and PNG have one of the entrants in there. So, how, how have they been going? Look, they've been going. The Flames has been an interesting one. Of course, we didn't have a team come down in um, 2014, and now with the explosion of women's football in Australia, of course, PNG is sort of back on board again. So. It's been an interesting ride with the Flames. I mean, we'll just sort of see how we go. But we've got a little core of uh, Australian-based players which can help us. Um, I think when they come up against sides like Canada and teams like that that have got height, it does become a little bit daunting for them. But, look, you can never underestimate them. It is probably more of a, a development for the team. The tour manager of PNG's AFL squad, Peter Harrison. PG7's coach Gareth Baber says the departure of captain Osea Kolinisau presents an opportunity for other players to make their mark on the national team. The 31-year-old has signed to play for the Houston Strikers in the inaugural Major League Rugby competition in the United States. Vinnie Wiley spoke with Baber about Kalinisau's departure. It's, uh, the natural way of things for any sports person that they're looking for the next challenge and what they're moving on. He's recently got married and I'm sure that uh, you know everybody wishes him well in, in his new adventure in, in America. He's been a part of the Fiji Sevens team, I think, coming up the last eight or nine years. Um, had a huge impact on not just Fijian rugby and Fijian Sevens, but, but World Sevens. And, and in your previous coaching roles, you would have no doubt seen that too. Yes, absolutely. I know he's been a great servant, as you said, not just to Fiji rugby, but for World Sevens as well. So um, he goes off with you know, high credentials in, in what he can go and achieve in the US. I, I've worked with him, as you said, over this last sort of six, seven months. He's been good in uh, imparting some of his knowledge and his experience to some of the younger players that we have coming through here in Fiji. And there is a change at foot. I mean, it's a natural progression from a team that was built to win an Olympics uh, and what moves on in Fiji, it moves on pretty quickly as well. And really the programme that we have here is to develop not just the players that are in the programme, but players that will eventually come into hopefully the next Olympics and Olympics following that as well. So um, Ossia has is, is been a great servant to Fiji rugby, but you know, for me, it's important now that we focus on what we need to do in the future. Uh, wish him his best of luck and, and get on with what we've got to do. Yeah, well, I guess uh, the way World Sevens works now, it is about those Olympic cycles. So the next one being Tokyo 2020, you've got uh, new players have already started to come into the squad. So I guess that's a, a process that just continues. Yes, absolutely. Um, as you said, there is that sort of four-year cycle. And getting control on that and, and making sure that you, you've got a plan in place is important. You get hit occasionally with you know different things that can steer you away from what that plan is. And you know, I'd suppose to Ossia several times over the last year about where he was looking for his future and he is at that stage of his career where obviously his value is, is important to him in, in, in terms of creating a future for his family. So um, for me, as you said, it provides an opportunity for blooding new players, developing other leaders within the group 
um, changing the dynamic of the group as well and pushing through for, for the next three years into Tokyo in, in 2020. So um, one door closes, another one opens. And uh, very much as a coach and as a, as a team, you've got to show that that's the way it's going to be. So this is an opportunity for other players that are a part of the national squad to step up into more of a leadership role. Anybody who's been involved in Sevens knows that you need those leaders across the group, not just uh, individual. And uh, pleased to say something like a Masulani who is his first year on the HSBC series. You know, he captained the team a couple of games in France, so that was good. And you got like Jerry Tuai and Vatamolo Vuvu as good leaders, and Apisai Domalolai. So, you know, there's some good leadership still around the group, and um, it's making sure that you get that balance right and um, understand exactly what the players need to, to move themselves forward. The Fiji Sevens coach, Gareth Baber. And that's World in Sport from RNZ International. Thanks for listening. Go far.